So here's what Jesus says about money culture. Number one, don't worry about money. Number two, do kingdom things first and then provision will always follow in your life. And number three, be generous, particularly with the poor. It sounds simple. So why is it so hard?
is much nearer from here and heaven is much nearer from here
In Matthew chapter 8, it says this, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. As I was meditating on this verse, I was just refreshing my soul in the truth that no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm seeing, no matter what I'm going through, no matter my health condition, Jesus is willing to reach in and to touch, to cleanse, and to love us. In light of that, let's pray together. Jesus, we just celebrate that you're willing that you're not afraid of our circumstance. You're not worried about the outcomes. You're intentional with us. You're engaging. And you are our Savior always. We receive your love today. We receive your solutions. We receive your, your new options that weren't there before. And we open our hearts to you to your love. Thank you just for your tangible presence even now. You're always so close. And we just give that attention right now. We give your closeness attention. We give your closeness and your nearness just the front, the front of our, our consciousness right now. And we say we love you back. And we say come into every area. We believe you're willing. We know you're able. And we ask that you would come. Thank you for touching us, touching our families, bringing about change. You are a miracle worker, Jesus. Amen. Hey, Blue Water. Uh, this is Connor, the youth pastor here. And I just wanted to share some exciting news about some things that are coming up with the youth ministry. So in June, uh, we actually have a missions trip planned now. And so it's just a little something for everybody to look forward to in the season of lockdown and stuff. And while we will be dealing with the restrictions, um, both locally and globally as they come up, we are still really excited to have this missions trip in the plan right now. So uh, we'll be taking the senior hires on a trip to the Philippines, which is right here. Um, and in the Philippines, uh, we'll be going to a place that I've actually already been. It's a place called Hingon City. It's kind of a small fishing town. Um, and it's somewhere that I've already been on a missions trip when I previously worked with YWAM. And we will be going there to work with my friend, who is actually my best friend from my youth group, named Stephen Ricci. He's been a missionary there for about seven years. And he uh, kind of runs all of the kids' programs for the local church in this town. And so that's their kind of main outreach avenue 
to uh, the community in Hingo is that through working with the kids, um, just even in after school programs or the youth group that they have at their church, they're able to bring more people into the church and get more people involved in that way. So the opportunities for us as a youth group for ministry there will be working with these kids and they have um, beach volleyball ministry, which was something I had the, the pleasure of joining in last time. They had um, uh, like vocational Bible school programs for the smaller children in the town um, and all other kinds of like beach fun activities and stuff as well. Um, and so their church does a lot of outreach ministry um, to the local youth to kind of have them have a positive place for them to be in their lives. And that's uh, something that we'll have the opportunity to partner with. And I've already had the, yeah, the pleasure of being there, so I know exactly what's coming. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to give you guys all a little update to show that some fun and new and exciting things are coming up. And that if you have any questions about other things that are going on with youth ministry, or if there is a youth in your family who isn't yet connected with youth ministry, you can send me an email at connor at bluewatermission.org. Thank you. Good morning, Blue Water. It is awesome to have you with us today. Welcome again to our Sunday service. This is the 34th episode of Blue Water Online. And I know we make it look super easy, but it's actually really difficult. And I want to give honor to the team that has worked really hard to make this a successful uh, community online service, especially Nick Pereka, Quack, uh, Antonio, our whole staff team. Uh, there's been a tremendous thoughtfulness and effort put into this. And I just encourage you uh, to honor these folks, to send them a text, uh, make them some cookies, maybe send dog treats to the dogs, I don't know. Uh, but we wanna just bless one another uh, as we're all working really hard in this time to uh, be family and be community. Uh, as you know, we've been in a series on culture and the culture wars. I wanna take a quick moment just to uh, remind us of why uh, we have been in this series. We are in an unprecedented time of turmoil in the nation, in this world. This has been unlike any time in any of our memories. And uh, it's uh, been a time of threat, dividing relationships, uh, upturning some of the most sacred foundations. And my dear husband, bless his heart, uh, has felt deeply concerned that Christians can be easily just taken out in their faith in this strange and uh, crazy time. He's also been gravely concerned for real threats to just our future society. And this, these are the reasons why this series has been uh, put on. We give thanks to Danny Espiritu for helping with uh, the talk on uh, world culture. And I wanna just really honor uh, Jordan, really, because he's done an excellent job of being bold, trying hard to speak truthfully in a way that brings honor. Uh, and I want us to remember as a community that Blue Water has always been uh, a community in which we have tremendous diversity. You'd be hard pressed to find the level of openness, uh, openness of conversation and diversity that we have. Um, and we're not to forsake that in this time. I want to encourage us one another to continue uh, to 
engaging conversation, to not uh, take the, um, the enemy's temptation to opt out or to quit relationships. Uh, from our start, we have been uh, a community that engages with one another. Uh, I got this awesome uh, email this week. I want to just share real quickly a little bit from this person who was a former Blue Water member uh, and he uh, wrote the kindest uh, email to us this week um, saying to Jordan, I got the feeling you would benefit from a few words of encouragement and he was right. Um, and he said, uh, thank you for your courage, for your wisdom, for your heart, for your community, and demonstrating authentic walking. I don't agree with everything you say, but I've been changed by the lessons. God is stirring in me, and I believe that's the point. Let me be an example of how your words are breathing life and are not, at their core, dividing your community, because I still feel a part of it. And I just love that, and I wanna um, just call us to remembrance to be family together, to stay connected, and to know that life is continuing to happen all around us. Uh, just in the last few months, aside from some of the more uh, dramatic uh, chaos happening across the world, I know many folks, four or five people who have lost parents. I know folks who are having babies in a couple months. I know folks who have gotten married in this time, folks who have lost jobs, who are um, needing help with daily care. And there's no better time than right now to be the church, to love one another, to put on that Aloha shirt of love, to bind over um, everything we carry, uh, unity uh, and grace. We're a community that lives on radical grace. If you're feeling that maybe that's been difficult for you right now, maybe you feel dry, you need some refreshment, to be in that place, to hang on to Jesus, to walk through this time, we have an awesome opportunity coming up uh, in the first week of November. We have our Holy Spirit retreat that's gonna be held. And normally this happens twice a year. And I think more than ever, um, it's gonna be a powerful and refreshing time. Please register for the retreat, take advantage of it, um, and be a part of renewal uh, within your own life and in our community. In addition to the Holy Spirit Retreat, we're also going to be making a resource available that is a printable and readable overview of this series on culture and the cultural wars. It's going to bullet point some of the things we've talked about and it help us to reflect well, discuss well, and maybe just be encouraged individually. I hope that you'll take advantage of that. We love you guys uh, and we are so thankful for your continued uh, family support. Uh, if you'd like to uh, make a donation to Blue Water, if you, this is your regular place of a fellowship, uh, you can do so online or you can do so uh, through sending it your check in the mail and um, we appreciate that so much. Uh, I'd like to pray for our kids. Uh, kids, if you could uh, uh, stand up. We want to bless you and bless you as you engage with our awesome youth and kids ministers this week. So join me in praying for our kids and families. God, thank you that we are your family and that you model in our, uh, in our family structures uh, this, this safe place of exploration, of engagement, 
of walking, of growing, of, of asking hard questions, of being cared for and loved uh, unconditionally. Lord, we pray for our kids today that they would experience the kingdom of God in that way, that they would develop uh, tenacious, loving relationships, and that they would uh, be able to turn to you uh, and be established in you for the rest of their lives. Lord, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because the dollar bill says, in God we trust, that being financially healthy means to look at the dollar bill and really think about how that is putting trust in God. I think the world would say that we should accumulate it and use it in a selfish way. That financial health in the world's view is to accumulate it so you're independent. But I think it builds faith when you use it um, for God's purpose to to extend the kingdom and to um, use it wisely to to minister to people and that show grace. And then have faith that, you know, um, that he'll provide for you, you know, even if you if you use it in a way that um, that that furthers um, righteousness and godliness in the world. We're in the sermon series about culture, and what we're really looking at is ways that popular culture can take us out as Christians. Because, as we often say around Blue Water, culture is the best coach. It's really influential for good or for ill, and culture can lead you astray without you realizing it. And in a society in which we have some problematic national leadership and some problematic social discourse, um, cultural dangers increase. And I feel like that's the situation that we've been in. Social pressure is a cultural danger um, because culture typically in, involves group alignments. And all Satan needs is for one peer group to have more influence over you in one area than Jesus does and then, then he's got you. Uh, culture has to do with morality and moral pressure uh, is a danger. Bad moral culture is rarely about a lack of morality uh, for Christians. Instead, the danger comes from being selectively moral. You favor one piece of morality so much that you neglect other important pieces, and that's how Satan gets you. Truth is a big deal in any culture. Uh, simple truth is supposed to be a discipline uh, for people, but a bad truth culture happens when uh, a certain outcome is so important to you that you're willing to neglect inconvenient realities and facts in order to get there. Uh, political culture often becomes really dangerous to us, particularly when politics overgrows in us, when we try to use uh, political or governmental power to significantly reshape people's morals or social pillars. And we need to remember that devotion to politics doesn't make good people. Devotion to God makes good people. Uh, we talked about sexuality last week. Sexuality has a huge role in cultures for obvious reasons. It touches on so many things. And sexual culture is bad, not just when it promotes unhealthy sexual practices, but when it teaches you 
that sexual practices are unchangeable instead of teaching you that every human has to manage sexuality for themselves for the sake of health and goodness. And today we're going to talk about money culture, uh, which is the cultural issue that Jesus himself talked about most in the Gospels, more than any other by a factor of about four to one by my count. In short, here's what Jesus said about money and money culture. Number one, don't worry about money. Snaps. Number two, <clears throat> when you live the kingdom life, God always provides. Uh, number three, be generous, particularly with the poor. There you go, a short summary, and that sounds pretty simple, but it's often deceptively hard for us. Um, and I think this is because people can get money sick, even without realizing they're money sick. And what people often take for financial health is itself often kind of sickly, a little bit twisted. And the reason Jesus talks so much about money in the Gospels is because he knows money is typically the way the world gets us. Uh, and so he feels the need just to talk about it almost constantly as you go through the gospel teachings. Uh, there are so many ways in which money culture can go bad uh, in us. Greed is a big way, right? We get greedy with money. We love it too much, right? We put our security in it. That can go bad. Anxiety, generally. Uh, we can worry about the future, and money tends to play a driving role in that. There's poverty culture, uh, which I think Jesus touches on a fair bit, though he doesn't call it that. Do you know what I mean by poverty culture? Um, poverty culture is when poverty becomes a person's identity. And I think this happens a lot in cultures around the world. Uh, there's this idea that poverty is fate, that there are haves and have-nots, and you're just a have-not, and, and that's how it is. And it comes to take on this sort of spiritual authority. Indeed, I think there is such a thing as a spirit of poverty in the world, and it is a soul crusher uh, for people. Um, I've experienced it myself uh, um, in different ways growing up uh, because of my own interactions uh, with poverty at different times in my life. I've certainly spent huge chunks of my life living in neighborhoods where I felt like poverty culture was huge, was a big driver uh, in people's lives, a big part of their identities. And, uh, and I've ministered in countries where the spirit of poverty is just overwhelmingly oppressive. And I know that, that some of you have as well. I, I mention that because I think Americans often don't have a lot of experience with the spirit of poverty and with poverty culture. And I mention it because until recently, most of the world lived in a poverty culture and I think struggled with it. Which leads us to our first passage of the day. Um, I picked one from the Sermon on the Mount mostly because it's well known and it should go down fairly easily. Uh, one of Jesus's more famous meditations on money and money culture. This is uh, kind of midway through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. 
and I'm going to pick it up in Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Boom. There it is. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the unbelievers, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you guys know that passage already? That's a, that's a fairly famous one. Uh, even uh, non-believers will know that one. One of the things that has always struck me about this passage is how Jesus boils down the spiritual battle of life to a simple dichotomy. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's just a remarkable way to boil it down. I would expect Jesus to say something like, you can't serve both God and Satan. Or you can't serve both God and sin. But no, Jesus, this is the only time he boils it down like this. He says, you can't serve both God and money. That's the opposition that I want to make clear, y'all. You can't serve both God and money. And then he sort of reflects on that as he goes. Um, the phrase, don't worry, appears a lot. It's clear to me that what Jesus is trying to encourage in us is not, you know, the pursuit of being rich or the pursuit of being poor, but the pursuit of being free in your attitude where money is concerned. You're, you're not allowed to worry about it. Whatever else is going down financially in your life, you're not allowed to worry. That's just something that Christians don't do. God knows your needs, Jesus says in the passage, and he's got you covered. Jesus doesn't promise us total financial ease. He doesn't promise to make us all incredibly rich or anything like that. He just says that, you know, at the end of the day, God knows and he loves you. So relax a little bit and let's just see how things unfold. You get it? That's kind of what Jesus is saying about that. But on one hand, it's super, super reassuring to have a rich father who's really into us. Uh, that's good. Um, but the goal, kind of the turning point in this passage where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff, all this material stuff, all this money stuff will be added into your life as well. You have to prioritize pursuit of the kingdom of God on earth. What does that mean? Well, you know, it's going to involve some sort of ministry, some sort of a spreading of the gospel, right? To establish heavenly order on earth. 
and God's teachings, God's righteousness, God's ways, God's morality. Our job is to be an agent of the spread of that in the world. And if you do that, if you prioritize that, Jesus himself promises that provision will follow. But first things first. If you live the kingdom life, provision will happen. Have you guys found that to be true? Uh, I have found it to be true, often in creative and surprising ways. Uh, and I've preached on this passage before, and uh, you, know, you guys have probably heard me go over those points before. Uh, but the most amazing thing about this passage, when it gets down to it for me, is appreciating the audience to whom Jesus was speaking. Uh, because he was speaking in that day to an audience that was, you might say, steeped in poverty culture. These were very poor people, uh, the opening of the Sermon on the Mount leads us to believe. He was speaking to pre people who were actively and severely oppressed by the Roman occupation at the time. So they were very poor and they were very oppressed people. Um, and Jesus was speaking to them about not worrying about money. He was speaking to poor people in a poor society, in a world in which almost everybody was poor and was just living kind of month to month, that sort of thing. We would consider them desperately poor and deeply oppressed. Nevertheless, Jesus thinks his teaching is appropriate. He thinks it's okay to walk into a group of poor, oppressed people and says, all right, first, you really have to be into the kingdom. First, you really have to honor God's ways and live a godly life. And if you do that, all of these concerns, these life and death concerns you have, they'll work themselves out. Don't worry about it. And when you consider it in context, it almost seems a little bit offensive, right? I mean, on the one hand, it's really, really reassuring. Your father loves you. On the other hand, it's like, well, the nerve, where does he get off telling me not to worry that I just got to be all spiritual and ministerial? and everything will work itself out. I mean, he doesn't live my life. Oh wait, he does live my life. And I think that's one of the keys to Jesus's authority in this situation. Uh, Jesus lived in that culture. He lived without anything, right? He was by all rights a poor and oppressed person himself. Indeed, he would live as a beggar and then ultimately be executed uh, by the oppressive forces uh, in, his, in his day. So it's an odd combination of reassurance and heartlessness, what you could perceive as heartlessness, but it was okay uh, for him to say it because he was living the life and it gave him a tremendous amount of spiritual authority and legitimacy. The teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus were culture busters. They just busted through the culture of poverty, you know, and, and he could uniquely say, your job is to multiply righteousness, not to multiply money. <laughs> multiply righteousness, and then just watch in the order of the kingdom how provision works out and how everyone is blessed and provided for. And we all know that Jesus could do miracles of provision uh, when necessary. Anyway, that's what he said to poor people. Now, maybe to people who weren't so poor, people who weren't on the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, he would say something that perhaps was tuned a little bit differently. He would remind them to be generous to those who are on the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. I want to read for you just a passage from Matthew 25, same gospel, another Jesus teaching. Uh, sounds just a little bit 
different in tenor. And what's happening here, it's, it's a parable, and Jesus, it's really a parable about Judgment Day. And uh, Jesus is saying, um, you know, when, when that day comes, when Judgment Day comes, uh, everybody is going to come before the judge. And the judge is going to sit down, and all the nations will be gathered before him, Jesus says in Matthew 25. And the judge is going to start separating the people. <clears throat> then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Ouch. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they will also answer the Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. It's a parable of the sheep and the goats. Among other things, this parable, uh, which is a severe sounding parable, implies strongly that ignoring the needy is a crime punishable by death eternal penalty, it says in the scripture. It also implies that Jesus takes that sort of thing extremely personally, because if you don't care for the least, then it's as if you didn't care for me. Extraordinary, extraordinary. This is like no other teaching in scripture when Jesus gets quite so worked up. Um, teachings like this. So why wouldn't we care for the needy? Why wouldn't we uh, prioritize the poor? And I think we're going to give one or two sorts of answers, uh, reasons having to do with our life or reasons having to do with their life. Well, I can't go to the prison or the hospital and, you know, take care of people. I can't really, you know, share my resources because I'm really busy or I'm just trying to get by myself or something like that. So those reasons have to do with us. And then there are reasons that have to do with them. Like, look, they're prisoners. They got into trouble themselves. It's their fault. How come I have to bail them out? Have to, I have to care for them. So, you know, what I'm saying is you could invent reasons. We all have go-to reasons. But why would you risk it? Given the Jesus teachings, you know, it's like you really don't want to mess this one up according to Christ because it is a fundamental when it comes to Judgment Day. 
The Bible is filled with scriptures like this, you know, hundreds and hundreds of verses about caring for the poor and prioritizing the needy in our lives. And God is willing to make it a cultural issue, a culture-wide issue. If our culture ignores the needy, then there will be widespread trouble. This is a theme that comes up often in scripture. My favorite passage about this in the Old Testament, I think it's a favorite of a lot of people, comes from Isaiah chapter 58 is a long chapter about true fasting and how true fasting really involves caring for the poor. Um, And I thought I'd just read an excerpt. These are eight verses from Isaiah 58. Read the whole chapter sometime. But this is a passage that has uh, shaped my life a lot. I've tried to honor it in my life in a fundamental way. And it's a passage, whether you know it or not, has really shaped the way we do Blue Water Mission uh, as a church. It goes like this. This is God speaking to his people. Day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the command of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it, God? Why have we humbled ourselves before you and you haven't noticed? What's your problem, God? Yet on the day of your fasting, God says to them, You do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is fasting just a ritual that you go through? Is that what you call a fast? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, to provide the immigrant with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you'll call and the Lord will answer. Then you'll cry for help and he will say, I'm here. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with pointing finger and malicious talk, political fighting, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. One of the best sermons in all of scripture, in my opinion. It's like, get it right, people. Get it right. If you're going to have a healthy money culture, you're going to have to pursue justice and take care of the needy. And God honors that more than he honors any other sort of religious ritual that we could do as a community. Amen? Amen. That's pretty blue water, right? I mean, I feel like we kind of understand that and at least try uh, to honor it. Right now, you may have noticed we're in a very political season. Anybody? You pick up on that? Um, So personally, personally, my political decisions tend to be based on what I think given policies will do for the poor what they will do for the least in society. That's kind of how that's kind of how I roll. Uh, politically. And these days, personally, 
Um, I think uh, those that I think typically call liberal uh, probably, at least often, do a better job of speaking to the principles of, of justice and remembering the poor. Um, I say these days uh, because in U.S. history, this varies a ton. You know, political groupings vary uh, a ton. These days, uh, I think many of us will know nothing except Donald Trump, <laughs> right? Uh, a huge political figure who is ostensibly on the conservative side uh, of things. At least that's how we define it these days. Saying racist sounding things sometimes about, say, certain immigrants, or perhaps failing to appreciably, failing to say appreciably sensitive or suitably powerful things uh, about racially volatile situations or something like that. Uh, and, and I sort of take that as a huge failure in, in national leadership, uh, at the least, uh, personally. So that's kind of today, and that's sort of a big characterization of our current political situation. On the other hand, when I was a kid in California, uh, I remember the big li liberal hero was this guy named Cesar Chavez. Anybody? No? Um, uh, he was a, a Mexican-American uh, labor organizer and, and civil rights activist. He was a big liberal hero in, in California, which was a big liberal state uh, at the time. And he had a lot of zeal for Mexican-American workers and, and unionized them, particularly the farm workers. Um, and what he would do to protect Mexican-American workers is that uh, Cesar Chavez would take gangs of union workers, Mexican-American union workers, and go to the borderland between California and Mexico with chains and clubs and beat immigrants trying to come across the border illegally. It would literally beat them. Uh, with, with chains and, and with, it, with his thugs. And at that time, every liberal in America, including black civil rights leaders at the time, like you know, Jesse Jackson, guys like that, loved Cesar Chavez because he was protecting workers, right? And so that, that was justice uh, on that side. There are schools in California named after Cesar Chavez all over the state today. And I think we probably read him as fairly anti-immigrant uh, these days, right? So it kind of depends where you are in American history. Um, I've been trying to live out Isaiah 58 with some passion for probably 25 years of my life. And let me tell you that political groupings come and go. Political groupisms and passions come and go. So a gospel traveler has to be both independent and wise. You have to think for yourself. You have to navigate these things for yourself and kind of resist the passions of the day and remember the passions of the gospel, remember the passions about scripture. Uh, so I'm certainly not telling anyone how to vote uh, in this election or any other. I'm, I'm just saying that personally, I would love for the poor to be the national issue, I mean, the sort of socio-cultural issue that we think about most. And then everything that goes into that, because there are a lot of layers and it's very rich. And I'm in it for the long term, right? Not the short term political contest, but the long term. And I'm in it for the practical effects of public policy. 
um, as opposed to just the talking points of politicians, you know what I mean? I'm into what really helps the poor and not what people say will help the poor uh, because it's different. And, and I've directed huge portions of my life, my study, my academic life, my ministry life, to trying to understand what helps the least and how it helps. And I would kind of just recommend that uh, approach uh, to people. I know, for instance, that whatever policies may be, whatever politics may be, whatever the, the celebrated causes are in the moment, I know that the greatest value lies in preaching the teachings of Christ in the kingdom of Christ, preaching to the poor as well as the rich. The kingdom life releases provision. The kingdom life releases uh, freedom from money worship. And that without devotion to the teachings of Christ, nothing else we do will likely work very well for the poor in the long term. Um, and that is where my chief loyalty lies. I do not take my cues from any culture other than kingdom culture and the timeless principles of the kingdom. And I try to avoid the temporary passion of the political scene. Uh, and personally, uh, <laughs> personally, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a vegan, environmentalist, pro-gun control, pro-life, small government, moral conservative, justice warrior. In other words, no political party will have me. <laughs> I've spoken at Republican state conventions and I've spoken at pro-Democrat labor organizing functions, you know, but nobody will claim me uh, long term. And if you're uh, strongly political line, sometimes you will like me and sometimes you won't. Uh, I've just kind of learned uh, that. Uh, there's, uh, I think, a great historical argument uh, for how uh, free economic markets reduce poverty drastically in the world, um, but it doesn't work perfectly. And there's an argument that socialism, you know, is, is what's really needed to make economics more equitable uh, for all people. And each system has its crazy bits. Uh, in my opinion, but you want to know a system that's really crazy? Systems that's really crazy is the economic system suggested by God in the Old Testament, which is a system that no society has ever tried in the history of the world. Do you know what I'm talking about, you Old Testament scholars? In the Old Testament, uh, these were the pillars of God's suggested economic system. One, of course, you got to take one day a week off. No commerce, no work, no earnings. That's the Sabbath day, right? Uh, two, you have to take one year out of every seven years off. And you have to let the land lie fallow, right? And you have to live off of your savings or live off of charity in that seventh year. How does that sound? Uh, and then three... There's a pretty ruthless system of hard work and indebtedness combined with a practice in which once every 50 years, year of Jubilee, all debts are forgiven and all resources are redistributed in society uh, for a society-wide do-over. 
So every 50 years, it's like the game is called, resources are redistributed so everybody has the same, and then you start over. So about once a lifetime, there's a start over. That was the economic system that God described in the Old Testament. How does that sound to you? I can tell you it's never sounded so good to any society that they've actually tried it. Not even the ancient Israelites ever tried it. It was a system that rewarded hard work and accountability, but also kind of has this regular and recurring implementation of grace and recovery. It's sort of a hybrid system. I just love to try that, you know. It's like my life is probably too far along now, you know, to actually see anybody do it. But and of all the economic practices suggested by the Lord in the Old Testament, my, my personal favorite, it's personal, is the practice of gleanings. You guys know about this? So God's rule was, um, in, in harvest times, this is a very agrarian society, uh, the owners of the field would harvest their field, or harvest the crops, but they were commanded to leave the edges of their field unharvested. So it would just be like, you know, public grain. And then poor people could come and they could harvest the corners of your field. And you just kind of politely let them, you know, and this was called gleanings. You let them glean. Uh, this is a practice made famous in the story of Ruth, for instance, uh, who was a gleaner. And it was sort of a, a welfare work program in, in this agrarian uh, society. It suggests to me that whatever you do, uh, with kind of your financial system, however you do it, whatever you're into, right, whatever your main method of organizing economics is, leave some margins on your, in your life, leave some margins in your society, leave some margins in your culture to care for the poor, to kind of provide and help people, help people live free from money anxiety. You need to be able to say to people generally, hey, it's not like you're going to starve. You know, there's going to be enough. There's going to be enough. And the people of God are uniquely entitled to say that. Uh, these are crazy times, crazy economic times in the world, uh, because one, most of us are suffering economically from the great economic shutdown of the virus, and that's just going to get worse and worse. Not the virus, the economic shutdown. Hopefully, the virus thing is going to get better and better. While simultaneously, too, there's this huge national debate about justice and who's to blame for injustice. Well, it's just an incredible combination uh, that we're experiencing right now, right? What would Jesus say about it? How would Jesus speak into that is a very live question. And I think the first thing he'd say to everyone is, okay, seek first the kingdom. That's got to be the priority. That is the ordering principle on which everything else is based. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Like, you have to spread the gospel. You have to spread the teachings of Christ. You have to spread the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't do that, nothing else really falls into place. The best gift that you can give to the poor and the oppressed is the gospel, is the kingdom of God. That's first. That's not an add-on, right? That's a big deal. It's the first pillar of justice, and it is the first pillar of freedom in every society and in all cultures. And then secondly, I think he would say, while you do that, make sure that you prioritize the poor. 
you know, particularly in tough economic times, right? We want to make sure that our fat gleanings, right, uh, for those of us who are lucky enough to get a harvest, you have to prioritize the poor somehow. Whatever your method, you have to have an area in your life that is set aside for sharing and compassion for your health, for your spiritual health. You know, it's not about what those rich people do with their money. It's about what we do uh, with our money. I would like to end today just by sharing one simple word. I think it's a word that I have for the people of Blue Water. And when I say a word, I don't mean like a prophetic message. I mean like a word, you know, and that word is simply this, sharing. Share what you have. And let's be people who share with one another, right? Um, I was talking with my daughter this week about pure communism and whether pure communism, not Marxism, but just pure communism, you know, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need, whether that's ever existed on the planet. And the only historical record we have of anything like that working long term, of course, comes from Acts chapter 2 in which everyone shared everything they had and everybody had everything in common and there was no needy person among them. And it was free and it was by choice. It was not legislated. It was just generosity coming from people who had a healthy relationship with money. I can afford to share with you. We can afford to take care of each other. And how powerful would we be as Blue Water Mission? How powerful would we be as a community if we just believe that? Because we seek the kingdom and because we live the life, there will always be enough for us to share and to take care of one another. Find some way to share your life and your means, whether you're rich, poor, or somewhere in between. And I think if we just do that, our light will rise like the noonday sun, as it says in Isaiah 58. I think we will find a way forward that will not only bring a spiritual revival uh, to our community, to our world, um, but it will unlock material justice and freedom for anyone uh, on the margins uh, of what we do. Father God, I pray that you would free us from money concerns in order that we might free others from money concerns. I pray, Lord, that you will lead us forward in kingdom ministry so that we might experience your provision and in turn become a place of miraculous provision for many. It is a fearsome and contentious time that we bow humbly before you, Lord, and say that you are our God. Money is not our God. Kingdom culture is our culture and worldly culture is not. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, Blue Water. Thank Hello. you so much for joining us on our online service. Uh, we're so glad that you could be with us. Uh, I have recently moved into the community house with some of these fine folks. Uh, and I love that our community has so many creative ways of <laughs> sharing and of uh, providing for people and just being the loving <laughs> expression of, <laughs> uh, of Jesus in this community. 
Um, other ways that uh, our community also provides for each other include Blue Water Random, which is a service um, where people can post things they have or things they need um, in order to help share and connect people with uh, yeah, things that they need. So if you're interested in that, please contact Robin Morse. Uh, her email is somewhere over here. Um, <laughs> last week we had a wonderful time as a house watching the service together and discussing it. Um, and it was a really great time. I know that a lot of these sermons can be bringing up some things for people. Um, and it's so wonderful to have others to discuss them with and to talk about them. Um, if you don't have anyone to talk about the service with, please contact our Ohana group leaders. Um, they would be happy to connect you with a group or with other people or just talk to you themselves. Um, because, yeah, we recognize that these, uh, these last few sermons have, you know, brought, brought some things up for people. So uh, please feel free to discuss them with our Ohana group leaders. Um, if you need prayer for any reason as you're walking out these, these things that we're learning about, please contact our prayer line. They're available from 1030 to 11 after the service and they would love to pray with you. Thank you so much. Oh, that is not cool. <laughs>